I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are The, the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome Hello. to the official podcast of The Gibson Review. Each episode, we'll talk about our weekend review, move on to the main event, which is a main review or topic of discussion, and finish with film faves, our list of 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. This year, it's 2007 films. That's right. Our film phase subject will be 2007, and our main event will be a main review of Keensman, The Golden Circle. So, I think we had announced in our previous episode's show notes that uh, we were going for uh, Battle of the Sexes, but that didn't work out. It turns out that that film was not even opening in western Washington, so there was no way we could see it anywhere. So, uh, we changed to plan B, Kingsman the Golden Circle. But if Battle of the Sexes does become available near us, we will review that, I'm sure. Yeah, actually, I think it's opening wide. At the time of recording, it's opening wider this weekend. So, by the time you hear this recording, it will already have opened Darn wide. Me. We would have been so cool mm. if we had it. So, hopefully, you'll enjoy that review. But first... Shanna, why don't you get us started with your week in review? My goodness. So this week has been pretty mellow. I got to catch up a little bit with Blacklist. It is on Netflix. Their new, well, their latest season has been uploaded. So that's pretty fun. However, I am noticing how much of a soapy drama this is. Mm. Soap opera. That's what it's called, right? Okay. I'll, yeah. I'll take your word for it. I don't watch the show. <laughs> I have a love-hate relationship with the show currently. I really loved season one. I liked season two. Season three was okay, and now season four is kind of like, really? It feels uh, like, it, it just, it's like this straining of trying to get the storyline stretched out. Uh, it's a lot of back and forth. It kind of feels like how I used to imaginative play when I was nine. <laughs> oh, I'm going to get kidnapped. Oh, and they saved me. Oh, I'm getting kidnapped again. And that's kind of how mm. it feels right now. Sounds like the show's gone kind of steadily downhill since the first season. I, I would say. I mean, I know that they're trying to create a lot of mystery and keep you second-guessing. But there's a point where it's just too much. Mm. But I'm going to ride it out and see how it goes. I still have not finished Rizzoli and Owls. Okay. Um, that's terrible. But that I have not finished it. But I'm watching that as well. That's my week alone. So the Blacklist, is that on its final season this fall? Or is that like going to be like Grey's Anatomy where it never ends? I thought this was their last season. Okay. So I actually got so fed up, I was on episode eight, and decided to ask one of the biggest questions on the internet about the show. That's a mystery. Like, who is Liz's father? Oh, you and actually went and Googled it. Yeah, because I was done at that point. <laughs> Something in that episode pissed me off. So <laughs> I went and I searched, and I'm not going to even say what I found out, but... It looks like they have a season five coming. So now I'm kind of like, oh, really? Mm. <laughs> All right. So that's your week in review, and that's The Blacklist on Netflix. I actually spent this week mostly 
either checking out 2007 movies or watching more of the same uh, that I talked about before with Brooklyn Nine-Nine. So I don't have really anything to say about my week in the review. So let's talk about our week. We did end up squeezing a couple things in our week together. We got to finish Big Bang Season 9. Season 9, yes. Big so Bang Theory. Now we're officially only one season behind, I think, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Which is huge for us, because we were behind, like, forever. I think we were, at one point, a total of four seasons behind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what did you think of season nine? Did you have any thoughts about it? Oh, I loved it. I love the Big Bang Theory. I. Some people feel like it's stereotypical, and it's, like, bad. Some people I've talked to have said that the Big Bang Theory you know, is unrealistic in its geeky or nerdiness depictions. And yeah, sometimes they go over the top, but let's be honest. Like, we all have a friend like that, or we all have some sort of shade of that kind of friend. And when you get a bunch of geeky people together celebrating something geeky, it kind of does look like that. I mean... Well, I feel like what you're talking about was really more the case during the first three seasons, where even, you know, sometimes I would totally see myself and my friends at the time in those characters. Then there are times where it's, like, super exaggerated and it was hard. It was kind of strained credibility. Uh, I don't feel like that's so much the case in the second half of the series so far. I think with the introduction of the girls... They and and how those relationships have gone, I think some of that has tempered quite a bit. I'm curious what you think. Do you think that the show is just as fresh and just as enjoyable in season nine as it was in the first couple seasons? I would love to actually go back and have like a Big Bang Theory marathon. That's Jeff, a lot of Jeff episodes. just rolled his eyes at That's me. That's 200 episodes plus. <laughs> yeah, I'm very proud of them for getting to 200. <laughs> I guess. Um, I think, you know, recently my favorite season was season 8. So the previous season we watched. I know you don't really remember it because it's been too long. But that was my favorite season. Um, it was where, you know, you had this full cast. Everybody had a girlfriend. Or that was the one where Raj was going through women too, trying to find. He he had the Indian girlfriend, and eventually he had the um the redheaded girlfriend too. Are we giving away spoilers? I mean, I feel like we're the ones that's been behind, not the rest of the world. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess you got a point. So, do I think it's still fresh? I don't know if Mm. I can say. Yes or no. Mm. I can say that it's sort of evolved a little bit because there's girls involved, Mm. significant others, but they'll do things that are really surprising and super hilarious to me. Mm -hmm. And I think as long as they keep doing that, I guess that kind of counts as fresh. Yeah. I mean, I think... There's some episodes here and there that are probably pure filler episodes or not as good. But I think what keeps season nine 
notable and, and in, it keeps things interesting is you're really starting to see Sheldon evolve and grow. Yeah. And he, you know, there's a lot talked about that in, in the ep- in the season, you know, about how he's softened a little and actually started to feel and he's becoming more aware of people's emotions and situations and, you know, he, he's grown a lot. And I think one of the things that the show really is about and what it was developed over the years really well is it's really about meeting people where they are in terms of their comfort levels, their personality, their quirks, whatever it is that may be outside your norm, trying to meet them where they are and helping them along. And I really think that that's something that's been really emphasized over the past couple seasons, maybe the second half of the show. And Penny has been a big part of that. Her relationship with Sheldon, compared to what it was in the first season or even the second season, has come a long way where she's, you know, come to meet him where he is so much and under being understanding of what his issues are and and what's a big step for him and stuff, you know? Yeah, they really do have an interesting relationship together. All right, cool. So that's Big Bang Theory Season 9. We also got to watch Beatrice at Dinner. Yes. Now, this is the newest film from the director of Cedar Rapids, Miguel Arteta, who has a really odd, eclectic director's history with The Good Girl, starring Jennifer Aniston, Alexander, and The Terrible, No Good, Very Bad Day, Youth in Revolt, as well as Cedar Rapids. So he directed this film, which is written by Mike White, who himself has had an eclectic history writing movies such as The Good Girl and School of Rock. And I really liked film. School of Rock. Yeah, of course. I think that's my, uh, Richard Linklater's most commercial and most accessible movie. Well, it felt like that movie really suited Jack Black. Oh, yeah, totally. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Beatrice at Dinner, for those who aren't familiar, stars Salma Hayek as a healer and massage therapist who uh, essentially, after one thing leading to another, finds herself at a dinner party... With one of the world's richest, powerful men, as he owns major corporations in the real estate world. Property. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is played by John Lithgow. Who is fabulous. As always. I'm a huge John Lithgow fan. So this movie was kind of billed as uh, the first post-Trump presidency movie. Tell me, Shannon, what did you think of Beatrice at dinner? It was not what I was expecting. The yeah. first half was kind of what I thought might happen. Mm-hmm. And then the second half, things got kind of trippy, for lack of a better word. Yeah. Well, cryptic might be better, actually. Well, yeah. yeah. It's not a very long movie, by the way. We're talking an hour, 18 minutes or something like that. Uh, without the credits. And I think it's like the last 20 minutes or so, it starts going in a direction that 
I won't get into specifics about, but I, I definitely am with you there. It doesn't, it doesn't go in a direction that I expected. Well, and I'm a little unsure of the intentions of the end of the film. Did it work for you? Is it is it like an ending that you're still chewing on, but you are really appreciated, or did it just not plan work for you? It's it's one that makes me keep thinking. I I felt like the ending was like a puzzle, and people could interpret it however they wanted. Mm. So there were multiple ways to interpret it, mm. which usually I'm totally into. Mm-hmm. But in this case, with this particular film, it was a little too cryptic for me. I would like to do more research on it to try and gain a better understanding. Yeah. Usually I get frustrated if I can't figure it out myself. But ending aside, I really loved the performances from mm. the beginning to the end. Mm. I thought everyone's performance was just fantastic. Mm-hmm. I thought everybody played difficult characters mostly well there's a very subtle high class racism that is performed pretty well by the party attendees i thought there was classism too but it wasn't horribly uncomfortable uh maybe there was one scene that was horribly uncomfortable don't worry guys no dogs die so that's great that's Um, all that matters everybody can watch it now But I enjoyed it. Yeah? I did enjoy it. Did it live up to your expectations? I think it's better to go into this film with no expectations. Don't even watch the trailer? I honestly feel that the trailer messed us up. See, I'm I'm not so sure because I really feel like the first hour or maybe just under an hour follows what the trailer makes you think it's going to be pretty well. Okay, but you, you... Not just you, but... It got described as the first post-Trump film. Right, right? kind of, yeah. Now, when you say Trump, I think, you know, okay, so President Trump. Okay, right. so we're actually going to have some political discussions. Okay. Yeah. Oh, we have two different sides of beliefs in... Two different life experiences. Well, yeah, and in politic yeah. style. Yeah. Shaping them. Yeah. Oh, we're going to have some interesting discussions here. And yeah. that's that's not really what it was. It was two different people from two different backgrounds being shaped by different things, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it, it not ne- it's not necessarily about Trump or in relation to Trump. I, I think obviously John Lithgow plays a Trump-like character. I think that's indistri- indisputable. And, but I would say that there is some of that, that clash of what would happen if someone who is uh, would often be lumped in with a certain minority group that is often a hot topic that a certain presidential candidate would bring up meets a person like him. How does that oil and water uh, work together? Well, I feel like then they shouldn't have said Trump era. Well, that's marketing, man. That's like I think that was like a critic that said it. So, I mean... Well, I think that was irritating because here we've got this other character that's like really grounded and down to earth and trying right. to, yeah, that's you what know, I'm the complete saying. opposite of that. And then it got described as that. 
I don't know. I didn't see an issue with that at all. And I do. That's completely separate from the uh, movie in a way. I see the parallels the movie is making. I definitely think that the first half of the film is very strong in this way. I think Salma Hayek and John Lithgow, they have a really excellent chemistry oh, yeah. in that sense. I was just really let down by the last third, last 20 minutes of the movie. It really kind of pissed me off if I understood what it was suggesting happened in the last 20 minutes of the movie. It was very contrary to everything else about the main character. Uh, as I understand what the way I was trying to say happens in the last 20 minutes of the movie, I, yeah, I have a very mixed mixed uh, response to the movie, but I, I did enjoy the first first half of it for sure. I highly recommend it. If you can avoid the trailer, go forth blind. Excellent. Lastly, we watched in preparations for 2007, Gone Baby Gone. I figured uh, this would be a, a movie of interest for you, Shanna, since you, you like uh, crime films. And this is Ben Affleck's directorial debut, and uh, for some people, his best film. Stars Amy Ryan as someone whose daughter goes missing, and Casey Affleck as the P.I. Brother of the director. Yeah, Just of course. saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> who is hired by Amy Ryan's sister, played by Amy Madigan, I believe, to find the little girl. And Michelle Monaghan plays, as he and as Casey often introduces, his associate, but is obviously a living girlfriend who's part of the job. What did you think of Gone Baby Gone? I agree. I do think that it's Ben Affleck's best directed film. Really? Well, I mean, I don't think it's the best film, but I do think it's his best one. It was well put together. It had good cinematography that helped reveal the story. I really loved the performances. Everybody really encompassed their character, and that's a horrible situation to be in. Mm. I can only imagine, and my imagination's fantastic. <laughs> so it makes me feel just like how they look like how they feel, if that okay. makes sense. So <laughs> I would want to talk about spoilers, but we can't. I, it, it's a film that makes you ask questions. It makes you ask yourself, what, what would you do faced with the situation? And at the end of the film, you and I had different answers about what we would do. Yeah, so to clarify in general terms, this is a, a film I feel like, first of all, I would say it has probably the most meat and, and has the most to chew on out of uh, Affleck's movies that he's directed. Uh, however, it's not my favorite of his. I don't feel like it's the most like enjoyable of his movies, but it may be his, it may be his uh, greatest. Uh, but going back to your point... A character makes a decision that is, in his, from his perspective, the right thing to do. And that thing costs him everything, right? And so, but there's another perspective that is articulated and argued in the film that has some validity as well. And... What you're basically talking about is how 
audiences can come on different sides of the issue. And I think what's interesting about the film is not only how you can come to different places in this issue, but also what does that mean about you? You know, it, it should prompt one to ask that about themselves. I think that's, that's uh, worthwhile. I think that's valid. So what are you? I can't say because, that would, <laughs> like you said, you know, spoil the film. I think it's a good film for people to watch and go through that question. Yeah, okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> was it? Do you think it was uh, one of the best films of that year that you've seen? It's not my favorite. Oh, so we won't hear about it later. No, you end. won't. You will not. That's interesting. It will not be mentioned again. <laughs> that is interesting. Okay. I come on. I mean, children being kidnapped mm-hmm. and hurt like that's mm-hmm. not my. It's not like, your bag. I, I love crime <laughs> so, films. I was going to say it says the person who loves criminal I, minds. I love crime films, but uh, when the children are getting hurt, I'm like, no. Ah, I see. You are not in my. Mm-mm. Okay. Very good. All right. So that's a uh, Gone Baby Gone, which you can find on. Netflix, yeah? Yes. Excellent. Okay, so that about wraps up our week in review. Now it's time for the main event. And our review of Kingsman, The Golden Circle. Exit. I saw in you what someone once saw in me. Something that can't be taught. The makings of a Kingsman. Being a Kingsman is more than the clothing we wear or the weapons we bear. It's about being willing to sacrifice for the greater good. I hope you're ready for what comes next. And that's from the trailer to Kingsman, The Golden Circle, which this time I'll remember to put in. Uh, for those who listened to the last episode, I apologize. I forgot to uh, get that Band-Aid trailer in there. Oh, well. That's what happens when you're rushing the edit job. Anyway, so, Kingsman, The Golden Circle is the sequel to the, I think, 2015 film, Kingsman, The Secret Service, which we've talked about a couple times on The Movie Lovers. This uh, stars Taron Edgerton, and Mark Strong as surviving members of the Kingsmen, as far as the trailer shows. Actually, as far as this, as far as this movie goes, there is a lot of spoiler talk that's going to be involved in this. Well, I'm going to draw the line in the sand. Anything having to do with character deaths or character reveals or whatever, I'm going to count as spoiler. So, if you've seen the trailer... Already, you've probably been spoiled about one of those things, but I'm going to save that for a spoiler talk, if you don't mind, Shanna, because I feel like it's kind of a big deal, and uh, we're going to have an interesting discussion about that, I think. Anyway, so the Kingsmen uh, not only find themselves being destroyed, but pitted against an drug lord, I guess, who wants to go legitimate corporate drug lord who feels her drugs are just as legit as sugar and caffeine and alcohol, alcohol and all that. And the keen, the surviving members of the Keensmen must team up with the stateside version of the Keensmen, the Statesmen, 
which includes Channing Tatum, Jeff Bridges, and another guy who actually looked very familiar, but I couldn't I couldn't place him. His name ended up being. He was whiskey. Yeah, he played whiskey. His name ended up being Pedro Pascal, who I learned a little bit ago was actually on Game of Thrones. Who is he? He's the guy that got really cocky and that ended up crushing his head uh, to talk somewhat Oh, shit. Well, spoilers for Game of Thrones viewers. You should be caught up if you're a fan. It's your own fault. Yeah, that's true. But thankfully, I didn't reveal which character. Anyway, so... Kingsman the Golden Circle. I People just starting to watch Game of Thrones are going to be like, who gets their head crushed in? Yeah, they'll be watching for it. Everybody. So what we like to do with our reviews is we like to talk about what was good about a film before talking about what could have been better and what, what we didn't like about a movie. Which opens us up then to general discussion and then spoilers and final thoughts. So... Shanna, let's open it up first with what you liked about Kingsman the Golden Circle. Did it live up to your expectations and measure up to its predecessor? It did not match up. Really? I felt, yeah. But, you know, I'm, a, I'm loyal to the franchise, so I will always go watch whatever they're going to give me. I am a huge Mark Strong fan, and I just love anything he does because he just totally gets into it it doesn't matter how silly or how serious or how manic or how depressing the character is he just totally embodies it and I'm like oh my god I just I think you're magnificent (laughs) you know like I would be totally starstruck if I had to like see him He's very cool. He's very cool. I I would not be able to talk to the man if we went to go get, like, a signing or something at ECC. Okay. I would, like, just be in tears. ECC being Emerald City Comic Con, for those who don't know. I would just be in tears of happiness. I am also a fan of Taron Egerton. Uh Uh-huh. I love his character, Eggsy, in this franchise. Uh I really enjoy him. You know, everybody has these opinions about him, and... Really? Well... Especially in the first one. Oh, you're talking about the characters. Yeah, the character. Everybody has these sort of ideas and opinions of him, and it still carries on for a while because he's meeting the parents of his girlfriend, and he has to be very careful with how he acts, and they have, you know, ideas of what he might actually be like. Sure. He adapts really well and evolves all the time, which makes him quite magnificent. Yeah, I feel like that's less of an element in this film than the, the last film, which makes sense. You know, he's more distinguished than he yeah. was previously. It shows him stepping into his role, but yeah. also, you know, like, just by his clothes, it, like, puts him back into where he's from, essentially. Like, paying respect. F- What's his style? You're talking about when he's... when he How he dresses. He dresses... Casual when he's just at home and he dresses the part. Yeah, when he's casual, and, okay. it's like he's back to his normal self. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. He, hasn't he still changed has completely. that distinguishedness right. about him. Right. He turns it on when he has to. I love his orange suit. I'm just saying. Hmm. His orange velvet suit is amazing. Okay. What else did you like about the movie? I love all the shiny things that happen in this movie. Like <laughs> okay. the weapons and the, the technology and like... Jeff's face was like, ugh, when one piece of healing technology gets mentioned. Oh, yeah. Is that a spoiler? Uh, Yeah, let's be careful. Okay. 
But I really like how they play in this film. I think that, you know, this franchise is very playful. But mm. I do feel like the first one was more playful than the second one. Really? I feel that way. And it okay. kind of lacks a little bit of vibrancy okay. compared to the first one. Interesting. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about what you didn't like about the movie in a minute here. For me... What? Go ahead. I also liked the soundtrack. They start off the film with bagpipes doing oh. country roads. And oh, I thought yeah, that was yeah. so beautiful. It totally made sense in my mind. <laughs> it's really weird. That song has come up a lot this year by John Denver. It's really odd. Yeah, there are other songs to country. There's a whole mix of songs in this, you know, different genres, including a certain 70s pop icon that uh, we'll get into later, which I, I found definitely spoiler territory. I, you know, what did I, what did I like about this movie? I agree. Uh, Taron Ed- Eger- Egerton, I want to say Egerton, as though he's related to that other guy. Taron Egerton is great. He wears this role just as comfortably as any of the suits he has to wear. And he's just, he's fan, he's just really good in it. And he's fit this quite well. The, he's done the stunt, stunt work. He seems just as comfortable with that as anything else he has to do. I also love the stunts. Mm, yeah. I mean, this movie just starts right out practically with uh, a stunt set piece uh, with a car chase and everything. Sometimes it, lo- it looks very digital, but... Oh, uh, I don't care about that. Yeah. I know that they're pushing their imagination and limits. Mm, it's good to see Mark Strong. I, I agree with you. He's very... Uh, no pun intended. He's very strong in it. But really, like... He's strong in everything. What's... What makes this movie fresh is The Statesman. thought that was, if a little myopic, in the sense that those very small team of state, statesmen that we meet, still quite fun and, and imaginative. I really liked what we did get to see of The Statesman and who we got to see and what they, what they could do, how creative they got with that. I so, also like the swearing. There's just something very special about Brits swearing. Okay. And I just, every time they swore, it didn't matter if it was like a short word or if it was like this long phrase of swearing. Yeah. I just, I wanted to whip myself every time. I just thought it was so funny. Okay. One surprise for me that I don't think, I wouldn't count as necessarily a spoiler. In the last movie... Spoilers for the first movie, Kingsman, which if you haven't seen, I don't know why you're listening to this review. There, it pretty much ends with Eggsy saving a Swedish princess. And in a very James Bondian way. Excuse me. What? He saves the world and yeah, the princess he, is about us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a very James Bondian way, he gets to have sex. With the princess, but in a very, like, modern Matthew Vaughn slash Mark Millar way, wow. he gets to do her from behind. But she kind of offers that to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is really funny. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that that last little bit was met by some as, you know, a hilarious play on the James Bond tropes. By others, a little uh, not-so-feminist, I guess. A little, uh, what do what? you call um, objectifying. 
And then uh, uh, some people objected to it. Well, I but, think her character is offering it, so I feel like that's okay. Yeah, it's it still rubbed some people the wrong way, is what I'm trying to say. And in this movie, they make up for it by actually having a serious relationship with that girl. Oh, that's a really great point, love. Which I was really surprised pleasantly by. And he's... he. It doesn't get, like, sitcom-y with it, but he is trying to to make it work. You know? No, I think it was very realistic. And she becomes a character, an actual character, yeah. too, you know? So that was something I liked. And I, I did like that actress, too, who... Her name is Hanna Alström, who is actually a Swedish actress. So I haven't seen her in much. She's been in a lot of Swedish roles. And not very many English-speaking roles. I quite enjoy her presence on the screen. I would like to see more of her. And I liked her character, mm-hmm. um, but I don't think she passes the, the Bechdel test. I don't think she has an opportunity to, really. Um, yeah, well, you know? I mean, it's, it's not as... Yeah, okay. We're moving on. So, <laughs> that's what I liked about the movie. What did you not like about the movie? What was the bad? I guess my issue is that it just, like I said earlier, it lacked that vibrancy mm. that the previous film has. I mean, that previous film, I, the first one, I felt was like an artwork mm. in really? how... Well, I mean, nothing like Pan's Labyrinth or Inception. Yeah, what do you mean? What I mean is it was like artwork action, action artwork. Like instead of actually seeing blood and guts explode... You saw those beautiful, different colored smokestacks. Yeah, we'll get to. We'll, I'll speak to that in a second. Carry on, yeah. And I thought that was really creative. Okay. So I classified it as like an actiony art film. They didn't really get very colorfully creative in this film. Hmm. Yeah, and that's all I have to say. That's what you didn't. That's all you didn't like about the movie. Well, there were other things too, but you said that I can't say anything. Oh, you have more things to talk about in spoilers. Okay. All right. Well, I have a lot of general things I can speak to. This movie, man. I, I, uh, I really thought this movie was a letdown compared to the first one. It, it is such a freaking cartoon compared to the last movie. So the last movie, the first film... It was it was original. It was it was it was over the top kind of stylized action, right? For the most it was of the movie, beautiful. right? Okay, you kind of can go along with it, but it felt it had a, a certain degree of grounded believability. Not grounded, but it had a certain believability along with it, right? You it kind of felt like a a Roger Moore James Bond movie. In the modern era, you know, with uh, with that much more violence and gore uh, and stuff like that, right? Until, like, the very end with what you were talking about, where instead of people's heads actually blowing up, they, for some reason, somehow turn into little puffs of colorful rainbow smoke. I love that. Um, which then, like, the movie gets into little cartoony territory. Which I think was totally appropriate. Well, see, I didn't think that worked with the rest of the film, and it, it, it's one of the things that kind of bothers me about the mm. original film. And this movie is that moment the entire time. This movie is a freaking cartoon comparatively. Wow. 
It takes things even further with its its nonsense. You got robot dogs. You got meat grinder. You got ca- people put in cages. You got a car. The president is a freaking cartoon character in this movie. But you know what it's based on compared I, to the first one. I, I don't know about that. There is a particular mucus membrane tracker scene in this that's just beyond ridiculous and unnecessary. I mean, yeah, the whole, I have an issue with that. Yeah, the whole movie is just this, like, take the, take the original and go even further with it to where it's really hard to buy into the movie at all. I mean, it literally... So, that was a major problem for me in this. My, I have two other major issues, but they're spoilery. But it really, it, like, the film, like, every time I would get into it, then something would happen that was just, like, either completely ridiculous or absurd or just, like, beyond hard to swallow. So I had a real hard time with this movie compared to the last one. I, I would say that this movie is about maybe a 4 out of 10 compared to the 6 out of 10 I would rate the first movie. What do you think? Well, okay. Apparently my mind is very good at blocking out the bad stuff that happens in a movie that I want to love. <laughs> and you just reminded me of all the bad stuff. Uh, I even forgot about Halle Berry's character and right. how that character's treated. So yeah, which I mean that even is kind of brushed glossed over, you know that it's just like you hear about how she's treated through her, and you don't even ever like see how she's treated. But you do, but you're a man, so you wouldn't see it. No, like really, like remind me when whiskey says get the silver pony ready. Yeah, and totally ignores her concerns. She uh. brings concerns to him. Well, and he ignores them. But there's a, a spoilerly re- reason for that. But she has mentioned previously that he is a problem with her. Yeah. So, there yeah. you go. Uh, I can't really discuss that without without getting uh-huh. spoilers. But, yeah, okay, I guess, you know, we just, we just did an episode on F-rated films. This does <laughs> not even come anywhere near, you know... Think of this as, like, a scale, and F-rated films are 10, and... Well, not all. The opposite is, you know, a side of the scale is 1, and it's just, like, man fantasy, misogynistic crap. Okay. This probably falls at a 3, getting closer to that misogyny that I'm talking about. Yeah, I mean, sort of? I don't know, it's an odd scale in the first place, but... I feel like if the female villain was written maybe just a little bit better. So you got me upset about this film now. If she was written just a little stronger and a little less ridiculous, even though that's their style. Uh, right, again, she's a cartoon maybe character. maybe would have had a stronger film. She's maybe. a car- She's a freaking cartoon character, man. Yeah, but, like, the men aren't. Yeah, well... Except the statesmen. But that's, like, US, so... I will give you that the Kingsmen are not cartoons. Everything else, all the other characters practically, except the girlfriend, whose name I can't remember right now, is a cartoon character. Tildy. Okay, I wasn't sure if that was accurate. 
practically everyone else is a cartoon character in, in this movie. Everything else is a cartoon character in this movie. And it's just ridiculous, man. I'm looking over Matthew Vaughn's filmography, and generally, I'm actually a big fan of Matthew Vaughn. I think his career has been fairly consistent in quality. Not a big fan of Layer Cake. A lot of people love Layer Cake. But hey, X-Men First Class. I think, I think this film is his worst film. And I'm not really sure what to... <gasps> why? There's a Kinsman 3 coming. We're looking at IMDb and this is very exciting. Okay, stay focused. <laughs> the point I'm trying to make is I think at this point in his career, this is his worst film so far. And it's a shame... Because I think he ha- he's had a consistently solid filmography. You know, as, as Shanna is randomly pointing out, there's Layer Cake, Stardust, Kick-Ass, X-Men First Class, and then the Kingsman movies. And I like pretty much all of those movies. And this is the first one where, you know, I'm, I'm not a big fan of Layer Cake, but not because I think it's a bad movie. It just kind of was for me. And this is the first movie where I actually think it's like, I actually had serious problems with the movie. Yeah, I mean, after you've mentioned things that I forgot about, I guess I had serious problems with the film too. I wanted to love it though. I really did want to love it because I love the first one. Sure. Yeah, I I mean, like like I said, I'm a big fan of Matthew Vaughn. I wanted to love it too. Or I, I guess I wanted to like it at least as much as the first film. But yeah, that just was not the case for me. Is there any other general thoughts you want to share? No, let's move to spoilers, All if right. you're ready. All right, so we, uh, for those who have not seen the movie and need to skip spoilers, Shannon and I are not big fans of this movie. Would you, have, would you recommend skipping it? I think if you're a fan of the first one, you should see the second one. But don't you think Just you'll so be that- disappointed? No, but I, mean, I, we think, were. I think you should see what the American side is like because there is a little bit of humor there. Yeah. I, I Okay. Just, so yeah. you recommend that. I don't recommend that. I think that the positive does not outweigh the negative enough that I can recommend checking it out. If you do, definitely wait. Wait for it to come out on, on one of the streaming services or something. Save your money. Spoilers for Kingsman the Golden Circle starting right now. Here we go. Okay, so. Okay. Let's I start loved... from the beginning. Oh, come on. Let's start from the beginning and work our way. First of all, one of the first things that really kind of ticked me off and disappointed me is it appears that Roxy does die. Like, 20 minutes into the movie. Roxy was one of the new, one of the new Kingsman recruits. She helped out with the mission in the, in the last film. And some actually criticized how she, and I don't necessarily agree with this, how she didn't have as much of a proactive role in the last movie. Um, as the main character. Well, and it sucked because she actually earned her spot. Yeah, yeah. And I actually was really hoping, once we do see her on screen in this film, that, oh, excellent, she's back. We'll get to see her on the mission. She'll kick some ass. She'll be a major character. No. (laughs) No. That's not happening. No. She 
pretty much gets blown up 20 minutes into the movie. The actress is Sophie Cookson, who I liked quite a bit in in the first movie. Uh, unfortunately, you do not get to see her much in this movie. So that that was upsetting, and I was really kind of even hoping, oh, well, you know, maybe maybe she'll turn up anyway. And Because maybe there was some sort of protective gear that she You do for. see her, like, running away, diving away or something once she sees the rocket coming. Who knows? Maybe she's still alive. Who knows? If they... That leads me to the other issue. (laughs) If they pull a Harry with Roxy, I'm just... I'm going to be done. You get one, guys. You get one. Toss my papers and not even bother. (laughs) If you've seen the trailers, you know Harry comes back. They completely undo Harry's death. Which um, I, I was concerned about because his death was kind of significant to the story of the first one. And so you're left thinking that the second one is going to be all about Eggsy. You know, he's, he's coming to his own. He's a main Kingsman agent, right? Well, no. Harry's back. And halfway through the film, well, maybe it's three quarters through the film, I don't remember. But they, like, they jog his memory... Turns out the statesman swooped in and saved his ass from a freaking... Because they thought it was their, one of their own or something. Something. I mean, the guy, like... That was another thing that was, like, so cartoony. He fucking got a bullet in his eye, which realistically would go through his brain. And, and kill it. You, right, right. And, I mean, it's so, like, pretend. They act like they have seconds to save him. And... They do, only he has amnesia as a result. And this they shit can't be easy. Right, and they're able to undo the amnesia. I actually don't remember even where he was. Was he even in America? Why would he be in America? Why would he cross yeah, country remem- lines? Remember it was like there was a cult. Like oh, that's right. it I'm mirrored sorry. the hills Because those only cult? happen. In America. Well, no, no, no. Listen, <laughs> listen. Remember, it was supposed to like mirror the Hillsborough West West Hillsborough West Hillsborough chapter, like super crazy playing. conservative Christian group, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, and so it was like in the South and in a church, and there's that insanely violent scene. In no, that I church. remember it. I just yeah. couldn't remember. And then when you said cult, I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yes, he was in the states, and the statesman got the signal of what was going on. I don't know how they didn't go crazy by and get affected by the way, but whatever. They um, arrived later. That's why. Hmm. Anyway, yeah, Harry's alive, and I thought that was contrived to say the least. What well, What did you want to talk about in spoiler territory? You seem to have quite a bit. I really liked Elton John, and I love that right. part where he saves um, Harry. By putting his face in front of oh, Harry's face towards yeah, the dog. The dogs. And I just love that, like, jump kick in the face that he does with his big ass feather costume. And it's like full on Looney Tunes <laughs> cartoon. It man. was perfect. That yes. was. That was what I was craving, like, big, colorful okay. drama action. Yeah, I mean, that just added to the ridiculousness for me of the movie. And you, you see him at first, you're like, what? Um. <laughs> it kind of doesn't look like him sometimes, though. I don't know what they did to his face. It's just age, it. <laughs> No, it's not. Because in, in the Princess Diana 
documentary where it features Harry and William, Prince Harry and Prince William. Which you talked about in a previous episode. Yeah. Like, Elton John looks normal. But, okay. like, in this film, I don't know what kind of lighting they put on that poor man, but he almost looks animatronic mm. in certain parts. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I just have kind of mixed feelings about his involvement in the movie. It was a, a surprise, but it was kind of like a what the fuck kind of surprise. Well, how uh, does he me? relate to the villain Poppy? How does that relate to her obsession with that particular time period? Well, see, that's I didn't get either because Cause her she obsession want an was Elvis? in the 50s, right? She'd want an Elvis or what's the female equivalent? Patsy Cline? I mean, people who were dead? I mean, <laughs> I mean, Elton John I guess was... it would have made more sense if she had made a robotic Elton... I mean, Elvis. I guess. I guess she was sticking to the east. She made some robot salon person, I guess, so why not a robot Elvis? But, yeah. So I liked... I don't know. I liked that he was there. Mm. I liked seeing his face. Mm. And I liked... You know, when he said to Harry, if, if you save the world, you get to go backstage, you know? Oh, yeah, you can find a VIP. Yeah, 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 I thought that was really cute. Yeah. But I also liked, you know, one of the ideas that I liked in this film was how Poppy presented herself to the world on the television. Yeah, I mean, I, like I guess. That. And I guess. Elton John bitching in the background. <laughs> Her perspective. I mean, they're trying to go for something that's, like, topical. You know, with being as how in the States, uh, marijuana is being legitimized, you know. They're, they're trying to do something there. And I guess there's something to that that wasn't bad. But you just enjoyed, like, the scene when Elton John was... <laughs> when he's screaming. swearing? Yeah. <laughs> in his British way. Yeah. It's very different. Yeah, I think he's getting bleeped, too. Yeah, man. I don't know. The cages... That pissed me off. What the hell, That pissed man. me off. Where did you find all of those cages? Did you go yeah. to all the scuba diving stores? And why put them in cages? I mean, you're rounding them up in a fucking football field. Why not just secure them in in the field? Like, why put them in cages? That was just so stupid and ridiculous. You could even put them in the stands. It would be more effective anyway, because they'd probably fall off the thing. I guess. I don't know. I mean, just the whole thing was... That was like, irritating. And what, no one's going to notice that to a flyover uh, with, you know, the press or whatever? Like, you know what was interesting, though, is Fox News was the choice. Yeah. And maybe they wouldn't have taken a helicopter over the top. Like, know. they had a shot of the stadium showing yeah. where people were going. Yeah. And maybe they wouldn't go to the top, you know? I don't know. So. I just, I, I found that so, like, hard to believe, and it took me out of the, the movie. I thought that was just so ridiculous. I was a little irritated that, about the president. Yeah. Because, and I'll tell you why. Okay. Because in the first film, they make it look, they clearly get someone to play Barack Obama. Yeah, absolutely. And in this film, there is not an inch of peroxided hair anywhere near that president. And... The only thing that hints that it possibly could be a President Trump is the big-ass red tie. And that's the only See, clue we get. I, even then, like, I mean, a red tie is not that uncommon. I don't necessarily think that they're really trying to go for a, a President Trump. We, we kind of differ there. I do think that he was a freaking cartoon, and his, his plan 
for dealing with the villain was absurd. Yes, I she's showing me a picture of Trump with a red tie. I hear That's you. That's the red tie. I'm telling you, I'm not sure that it was, like, part of the plan with the production. I don't know when it was all Well, and shot. if it wasn't the plan, mm-hmm. then why not? We made Barack Obama... Like, totally agree to the annihilation because of people. Because there was an election year when they were shooting and you didn't I'm know so who was going to be. I'm so irritated. You, like, anyway. The woman that was, like, helping the president, mm-hmm. they could have doubled up. Emily Watson, okay. by the way. They could have doubled up. They could have made her Hillary and they could have made him Trump and they could have taken turns and then just edited in whichever part they wanted. Anyway. I guess. And that, what the hell is Emily uh, Watson doing in this movie? Played... Like, apparently the only person who gives the president any opinions getting affected by the villain's drug thing. I don't know what drug she was using. Yeah, they don't say. They just, I don't know. She it's, says she waited 20 hour days. It's so weak and flimsy. Anyway, God. I did like how Mark Strong died. Oh, yeah. I, was I liked bring that his earlier. death. His death was yes. purposeful. Mm-hmm. There was that ridiculousness fun to it. Kind of. I mean, he was I, singing his I love way that. Out. Yes, yes, yes. And, that oh worked, God. that worked pretty well for me. Anything yeah. that man touches is gold. Well, okay. But, I mean, <laughs> maybe. Hashtag Mark Strong is so strong. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, no, but yeah, I agree with you. I'm with you there. His, his death saying, while unexpected to me, I did not see it coming a mile away or anything like that. Yeah. I really just like, like legitimately thought he was coming up with a solution to the mine issue until like all of a sudden he's on the mine. I was like, what, what, what just happened? That, um, that pissed me off, but mm-hmm. I love how he went out. Yeah. 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 Totally. Yes. All right. Um, I did not like, I felt that Julianne Moore, Poppy mm-hmm. could have been so much better. Yeah. I totally get where she's coming from. She is mm. feeling like, she's this complete and utter superpower, uh, 50 under 50 woman revolutionizing. You're talking about her financial success. Yes. Being an entrepreneur and all that. And, like, yeah, I get why that would be irritating. Mm-hmm. But I feel like her first scene that we see her in was okay. Like, she asks the other guy to put oh, the other guy into the meat Oh, good God. Oh, by the way... Just, uh, sorry for the po- That meat grinder, that could have been so much more worse. I mean, notice there was not really any blood coming out of that thing. It I was, was thinking yeah. Fargo and everything when I saw that. <laughs> and I saw it in the background. I was like, oh, God, no. <laughs> yeah. I saw it like a minute ahead of it was time. Too, it was too neat. <laughs> I was just like, oh, no, no, no. No, no, no. I do not want to see this. She must have, like, given him a drink to coagulate his blood ahead of time. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, go ahead. You're saying. You're saying in that, that first scene. I liked her in the first scene. Yeah. I felt like, oh, she's going to be great. But she didn't hold up, mm. if that makes sense. I mean, I'm not sure the character was quite uh, to the level of her talents. But, again, the character is a cartoon. You know, I mean, it's like... Yeah, it's a cartoon, man. I don't know. They could have done more, but instead she's got robot dogs that she hides behind. And I thought that was stupid. You didn't like I'm the sorry. robot dogs? I thought that was so stupid. Yeah, I did too. I did too. I was like, where did she get the resources for these things? You know? I don't see an office of people, like, supporting her. I just right. see bodyguards. Right. And she has all this fancy-ass shit. Right. Like, no. 
this is a woman that's not being depicted realistically. She should have had yeah. like a team or some. Yeah. Whatever. Anyway, all right. Let's let's wrap it up. Uh, so that's that's the Kingsman Golden Circle. Have you seen the film? What are your thoughts? Email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. All right. Now, finally, we can move on to this episode's edition of Film Faves. 2007 Film Faves. Woohoo! So, for those who are unfamiliar, Film Faves is where we count down our 12 favorite movies about a particular topic. Often, we're marching down through time year by year. Last episode was F-rated films. Yeah, so we're coming back to our march through time. This is all, I think, the second or third that was originally posted on the Film Faves feature of the Gibson Review blog, which inspired this segment of the show. Not only is the purpose to share our tastes in movies, but also hopefully expose movies you haven't thought of before or haven't come across before. To that end, we try to share with you where you can find these movies to stream. Now, of course, there's a lot of streaming services, but we primarily focus on Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu, and HBO Now. Unfortunately, a lot of movies are only available to rent on Amazon and not available on those services, but we do try to point out when they are. So, with that, Shanna, tell us a little bit about your list and how you went about making it. This was a very difficult year for me because, honestly, I watched so much crap. It was hard to actually remember that there were even a few decent films from this year. This was the time of my life where I had decided I was capable of going to the video store myself. So every time there was a new film, I'd be like, okay, I'm going to pick that up and I'm going to watch that and I'm going to watch this and I'm going to watch that. I watched so much crap. Oh, my oh. God. I watched the number 27. I watched Premonition. Whatever. <laughs> I've got 27 on my mind. I watched Premonition. I I can't even remember the other crap that I watched, but I looked at all the 2007 lists, and I was like, why did I do that? Mm. So now my, my taste has changed so much. I think that it's possible that taste has changed because there are so many ways to watch films in a convenient way, renting from Amazon, free streaming services or, you know, subscription services. So I feel like now there's, because there's so much available, it's kind of changed the market and changed the style in which I want to spend my time watching. Well, it's also 10 years later, you've grown and your tastes have probably grown. Yes, I've met you too. When I started going through the lists, it was very difficult for me to pull out good or favorite films. My first five, my one through five, actually one through six, are actually my favorites. But the rest I've just included because they were interesting or they maybe had one thing that I liked about them. Okay, so my number 12 is Transformers. And the reason this is on my list is because I really loved the sound effects. It was like candy to my ears. Hmm. You don't want to elaborate on that? No, that's all I got. That's all I got. (laughs) There's machines in it. Okay. You know what? I I like Shia LaBeouf. I don't like how they show Megan Fox, but that's Mm. why I'm talking about sound effects and not performances or the sexism that is rampant in this film. Oh, wow. Well, if you thought the sexism was rampant in that movie, try watching the second Transformers movie. The only thing I like about that that one 
Uh, is when Shia LaBeouf screams like a girl. Okay. It is hilarious. And that's all I have to say about that. What's your number 12? Well, hold on. Before I start counting down, I'll, I'll just explain. 2007 was particularly hard for me, too. Was I think it? It was. Yeah. It, this is not my favorite year. And it wasn't my favorite year at that time, either, when I originally made my film Faves of 2007, uh, about seven or eight years ago. You know, this is a year where No Country for Old Men and, and There Will Be Blood and such Just came really out. Just really depressing shit. And, and those are great films. You're good. But, but I didn't trip over myself over those movies like a lot of critics did or whatever. So I had, I had a very few, like, movies I loved from this year. I think I came up with, like... I don't know, not much over a 12 to choose from when I originally tried to come up with this. And it's interesting, if you go back to the original 2007 post on the blog, you'll notice there's been some changes that have evolved over the years uh, in my taste. So, oh, and also, only one of my movies on this list is available to stream. Everything else is available to rent on Amazon or some other platform. So, first of all, my number 12 is... The Orphanage, which is the Spanish ghost horror film by, I think it's Juan Antonio Bayona, if I'm not mistaken, who directed this film, who would go on to doing um, other things that were made stateside. I thought this was a really effective ghost story. Uh, it's, it's about a woman who gets terrorized by these children ghosts that have like bags over their head and it is there's some really effective scenes in this but even more effective is the twist ending which uh is tragic but it, it, it just makes sense and it's like oh wow kind of kind of a thing uh so i it's been years since i've seen it but it's always kind of stuck with me as one of those like if you like the others you should see the orphanage kind of thing. It's really, really solid ghost story. So, yeah. Is that the only horror you're going to talk about? Maybe. We'll see. I, yeah, okay. <laughs> Number 11 is The Mist. And the reason I'm mentioning this film is because it was filmed in black and white. And everybody knows that I love that stuff. But and it wasn't, wasn't released in black and white originally. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> It is very difficult with this list, so we're just going to go with what I say. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's not too scary. It's a little gut-wrenching, uh, you know, at the end, but it is good to sit through and watch. Now, there is a television show made from this story mm. by Stephen King, right? Well, it's based on a short story, as I understand it, by Stephen King. And I don't know how that show is doing, but I really mm. like the film, and you get to see a couple actors. I got to see a couple actresses that I recognized. Mm. We had the woman from The Walking Dead. What is her name, honey? Laurie Holden. Yeah, she's yeah. lovely. We had, everybody knows I'm this huge fan of The Closer, and the Kira Sedgwick's mother in that show is in the mist who's she play she's remember they're in the car together okay and it's the woman with the gray hair the gray white hair hmm. i'm not sure okay well i'm sorry i don't have that name for you but this is 2007 and you're just gonna have to get over it what is your number 11 my number 11 is knocked up 
Which I just revisited. I just rewatched the first half or so of this movie. Because it is one of those movies, oddly enough, where... And I have this problem with the 40-year-old version, too, where I'm like, how much did I like that movie? I don't remember. I, you know, I have a hard time remembering it for some reason. More than any other movie. This movie has so many people in it. Listen to this mm. cast list. Okay, so you have Seth Rogen and, and Katherine Heigl, who's probably in her best movie ever in this film. I mean, I come guess, on. I guess Catherine. she was the best in this. I mean, she's she's she has a terrible... Although I did like the Dresses movie. Oh, come on. 27 years. <laughs> she has the worst resume any, uh, ever, and this movie's probably oh, her best come thing. on. Stop hating All on right. Catherine. Well, it's hard not to. Paul Rudd, Leslie Mann, Jason Segel, Jay Baruchel, Jonah Hill, uh, in his breakout year, by the way, more on him later... Martin Starr, Charlene Yee, Harold Ramis, Alan Tudyk, Kristen Wiig, Bill Hader, Ken uh, Jeong. Kristen Wiig? Yeah, she's in it for a scene. Craig Robinson. Some people will know Tim Bagley. He's kind of a, oh, that guy, comedic actor. Adam Scott is in it. BJ Novak. Paul Feig, the director of Bridesmaids and the most recent Ghostbusters is in it. The list goes on. Stormy Daniels makes an appearance. A lot of uh, cameos like James Franco and stuff. There's so many people in this movie, man. Yeah, there's a little bit of the stoner humor here or there. But, like, for the most part, it's a legitimately funny movie. And it's a, it's a really good movie about two completely different people trying to make a relationship work. You know? It's a... Oh, come on. It's about a guy... Who didn't put the condom on when she said put the condom on. But there's a misunderstanding stu- there. No, no, he's just she said, stupid. She said come on already or whatever. And and he misunderstood. Because he's stupid as fuck. Okay, I'll give you that. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Yeah. All right. Anyway. Ten that, points for Shannon. <laughs> okay, anyway. One for Jeff. Yeah, so Knocked Up is still quite an enjoyable movie. And I think it's it's definitely a highlight on Katherine Heigl's career and probably one of Seth Rogen's best movies, too. I thought that Knocked Up was available on HBO. Go. I did not see that according to Just Watch. Oh, maybe it just got taken off. Maybe. So my number 10... So my number 10 is Zodiac. Now, we had just talked about crime films. I prefer this crime film. Mm, I knew you would. It was... Great. It was smart. It uses a lot of brain power. You got to try and figure this out. And you know what? It's not completely gratifying at the end, but it, it kind of makes up for it with its process of storytelling about mm. this, this uh, criminal. But even more so, it's kind of about a guy who becomes obsessed with the, the criminal, right? Who, by the way, is a real criminal. Like, this is based on a, a real story yes this is real you know. like jack the ripper i guess so yeah I, I, that's a david fincher film and uh, uh i'm glad you really enjoyed that film my next movie is enchanted which is the disney animated live action hybrid starring amy adams who uh, got really well known in the in mainstream audiences eyes through enchanted she plays a princess, a Disney princess, who gets magically transported by an evil witch played by Susan Sarandon to the real world. I love Susan Sarandon. She's, she's the best. She's great. But Amy Adams is so good in this movie. And the first 20 minutes of the movie is like a Disney self-parody, man. Like, it's capturing all these tropes that you find in Sleeping Beauty, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, Cinderella, you know? There's this... 
airy, clueless, naive girl who's got who's able to talk to and have relationships with animals who help her do things and stuff. It's 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 really really cool, really fun. I just checked it out again and it really holds up. The songs, the songs are so good and so fun. That's how you'll know. Come are on. They? That's a really good song. Are they really fun? You, I, I couldn't get into this film. I'm, I cannot believe that being a Disney nut that you are. I couldn't get into it. I don't understand how. Yeah. I, I must have been soured by all the other films that year because there was a lot of crap. Mm, okay. Probably. Yeah, but that was not one of them. That's my number 10 favorite film of 2007. My number nine is Ratatouille. And Ratatouille isn't the worst Pixar film. It's not the best Pixar film, but it is, you know, kind of in that middle spectrum. The best part about this film is when Remy has an opportunity to cook a dish for one of the most harsh, well-known food critics in France. And he totally nails it because the way he cooked the dish was able to create, was able to bring the food critic back to his childhood, back to his mother. Yeah, yeah. And, oh God, that was just so beautiful. Every time I have South African food and I'm missing South Africa, I like that is what happens to me. Like, Interesting, in really. Head, that happens. And I'm like, especially for my grands, jam squares. Oh my God. I made jam squares for the last Comic-Con that we went to last year. And like, I kept some of the dough um, and it has like a ton of sugar and butter and flour in it. But you know, who cares? It reminds you of, it reminds me of my grandmother. And while we were walking to the bus, I don't know if you remember this. Maybe it was two Comic-Cons away uh, ago. But while we were walking to the bus, I took a bite of this dough mm. and like I just burst into tears because like I missed her so much. That mm. was how strong the memory was to that particular food. So that's my number nine. Yeah, I'm looking right now and you're absolutely right. You had placed Ratatouille in all of the uh, Pixar films. You placed it squarely in the middle at number nine uh, out of like 16 or so at the time. Uh, so, yeah, it did not make my list, because uh, that's where I also put it. My next movie is actually also animated, and it's the only animated movie, like, completely animated movie on my list. It is Persepolis, which we talked about recently. In the last episode. We actually talked at great length about it. Yeah, so, it still was one of my favorite movies of 2007. Directed by and written by Marjane Satrapi, based on her autobiographical graphic novel of the same name, and her ex- experiences being a youth in Iran in the 70s. You know, I think this movie not only balances, not only balances humor really well, but it has a, a lot of poignant moments, you know, where you know that certain members of her family or people in her life uh, had run-ins with the government and, and were uh, executed or what have you. You know, it's, it has this very delicate balance of, uh, of, of warmth and humor and poignancy that uh, just really elevates it above, above the average film. And I, I think 
I don't remember if they were doing Best Animated Feature at that time with the Oscars. If it, 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 Surely, if they were, if this had to have been nominated. I'm not sure what should have beaten it, but this is definitely one of the best animated films of that year. Uh, that's uh, Persepolis. My number eight is also a F-rated film, is Stardust. Oh. And it is F-rated because of the characters, the female characters. I only remember like Claire, uh, Claire Dane's Dane? character, who's like a star or something in it. She's a fallen star. Mm-hmm. And witches are after her to harvest her so that they can have eternal youth. Okay. Um, they've, it's kind of like Hocus Pocus where they need to like rejuvenate themselves through mm. killing something, a being. And I really enjoyed this film for its romance. I thought the romance was enchanting and fun. It was my enchanted. <laughs> so that's, that's all I have to say about it. I think it's fun and it's on Netflix. to right on. Very cool. Uh, that was also a Neil Gaiman story, too. So, good taste there, love. My number eight is the only movie that's available to stream on my list. It is Super Bad, which is available on Amazon Prime. You know, every time I think that's going to be a stupid film, and then I start watching a piece of it, and I think it's hilarious. It is hilarious. And, you know, I really feel like, you know, at the time, I think I praised both Michael Sarah and Jonah Hill. But I really, like, realized watching it again 10 years later, this is Jonah Hill's movie. I mean, not only is he beautifully profane in the first hour <laughs> of the movie, I mean, he's just hilarious in it. But this is a guy who's really... His character's really the one that's struggling with growing up, you know? And in this last year of high school, that with his, with his best friend... He's afraid of all the changes that's going to come with growing up. Even though, like, on the outside, superficially, he's he's trying to pursue, you know, having sex, which is, you know, that's when you lose your innocence, and that's when you really grow up, you know? He's, he's really afraid of, of not being able to see his friend anymore like he used to. And uh, this is a really great bromance that's disguised as uh, a teen flick. That's sort of like that movie Can't Hardly Wait, which is about a party. Well, this is like, what if two guys were trying to make it to that party the entire time and the party was <laughs> relying on their bringing alcohol, you know? And the misadventures of them trying to get to that party. Emma Stone making an appearance, a very early appearance, and it's interesting seeing... Ten years later, a young Emma Stone, who honestly hasn't changed that much in the past ten years, but she does have, like, a, a, a mild, like, yeah, you're totally, like, like teenager-like. Um, well, I face. felt like her frame was, was much smaller, much mm. more teenager-y, yeah. and now she's kind of become a woman. Yeah, 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 totally, totally. But uh, she definitely was... Uh, I remember back then she stood out, and, and like, you... My 26, 27-year-old self or whatever and my friends took notice as someone to remember. And here, like, 
what was it? A couple of years later, she's got Easy A, and she ends up being this incredible actress. I love you know? Easy A so much. <laughs> Every time we have a chance to mention it, Jeff's like rolling his eyes. I'm like, Emma Stone, Easy A, woo! Yeah, yeah. So anyway, Super Bad, which is available on Amazon Prime. My number seven is Death Proof, and it is also an F-rated film. For the female characters, not in the first part of the film, but in the second, <laughs> just clarify, the second part. The first part are stupid, and the second part is where the strength comes in. Mm. And I love this film so much um, for two reasons. I love in the first part of the film, one character is named Shanna, and she gets accidentally called Shannon. Which happens fucking all the fucking time. All the fucking time. And she goes on this complete monologue about how every fucking Shannon across the fucking world cannot stand to be called fucking Shannon. Like, she carries on for probably about 45 seconds talking really fast. And it's just completely and utterly satisfying to this universal Shannon problem. And then the second reason is the complete and utter sweet revenge that happens at the end. Mm. So, um, and I do love the female characters in the second part of the film. They're just insane. They're Mm. just so crazy and like so brave. Nothing scares them. And I'm like, holy shit, I would never be able to hang out with those girls. But man, I wish I could be one, Mm. you know, so that's, that's my little Interestingly, yeah, I had a real hard time getting through that movie. That's probably, uh, that's definitely in my bottom three of Tarantino movies. Well, Uh, and my brother said, just get through the first half Mm. and you'll be okay. And Mm. I was like, are you? And he goes away. He leaves the film with me and he goes away. And I call him back and I'm like, are you sure? Like, why are you leaving me? So he was, he was right. It's worth the second half. I, I totally understand where you're coming from, though. Uh, my next movie is Transformers, which, if you wow, look... Wow, Well, I was about to say, if you look back on the original Film Faves article, you'll see that Transformers was number one for me at that time. What a difference 10 years can make. However, I rewatched this movie in preparations for this list, and so on the one hand... Half the human cast are just complete cartoons, you know? I mean, you have people like John Turturro and Anthony Anderson and to I extent, love John Turturro. Tyrese Gibson. See, I'm trying to make a point of how half the cast are complete cartoons, you know, and those are the cartoons. But, you know, and, that, and it really makes for an uneven movie because then you have people like uh, Shia LaBeouf and his parents and Rachel Taylor who who feel like characters that are supposed to be, you know, you're supposed to buy into and go along with, you know? And you have just these, these just oddball characters that just, they, they, they drive me nuts. And they, they get, everybody turns into a cartoon in the second movie. But in this movie, there is a certain degree of believability with half the cast in it. But I also love the movie for... The, the visual effects, which surprisingly, 10 years later, actually oh, really hold up. They were stunning. They, they were just so beautiful. It's amazing. Like, very, very, very little of it, if any of it, actually looks fake. 
it the, the it actually holds up to today still. It looks um, like they have actual robots with them, right? It doesn't yeah, actually yeah. look like a blue screen. Right, right, right. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, the references to the original cartoon are really cool. Down from the the actual sound effect of them transforming, they actually integrated that into the new sounds. Uh, as well as dialogue from the original Transformers cartoon movie. And here's the thing. I would actually rank this among Michael Bay's five best films, easily, hands down. And part of that is not only due to the visual effects and, and the, the nostalgia factor, but the action staging is so clear and so exciting in this film is even when things ramp up to the climactic fight in the city not far from the dam that was a good fight you actually can see and tell where one character is in relation to another and so when one character is firing at another you can tell like you can actually follow along right which is completely opposite of the chaos and the the just visual like nonsense that the franchise ends up becoming as it carries on. Have you seen the fifth one? No. Oh, okay, that would be. I know that would be painful, maybe, but that would be interesting to see. You know, do the visual effects get better? Do right. Yeah. No, I understand what you mean. But with this film, the I I just feel like the action is so good. It's it is up there with. That of The Rock and Bad Boys, uh, the, the original Bad Boys, you know. So yeah, I will defend the original Transformers. I will not defend what the franchise has become. I thought it was going to end <laughs> with number three, and now I'm seeing that we're getting three more Transformers God, number movies. Number three was so shit. And I, I Such a freaking disappointment i have zero interest in this franchise and have had zero interest in this franchise for the past five years but this movie i will defend it's it's not a great movie it isn't a great movie but it is good it is a good movie and it's a lot of fun my number six is available to stream on hbo go it's Mr. Magnorium's Wonder Emporium. What? Really? Oh, don't get upset. That movie? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> oh my god. Wow. Now the reason I like it... Remember this Please is Please tell me. Shut up. This what is, is the reason why you like this so much? You know when you're a kid, you have options of what you want to be. You have dream jobs. You have... And different levels of the jobs you want to do. You have the realistic job you could get. You have the, okay, it's going to take a little bit of a stretch for me to become whatever. And then you have like the dream job, which you know you're not capable of and you don't have the energy to achieve that. My dream job would be to be a toy maker or the owner of a magical toy, sh- toy shop. And I don't mean like magical like Mr. Magnorium's Wonder Emporium, but... I, I always, I have always loved toys. I still love toys. I go to the local toy store in Olympia called uh, Captain Little. And so there's personal attachment to this film. Is it a great film? It's not fantastic, but I do like the journey that Natalie Portman goes on. I think a lot of, a lot of people can relate to that journey where 
you know, you feel like you've, you've hit your peak and you're really young. And then you sort of get bored with the idea of carrying on in that footstep. So she was seen as a child prodigy, prodigy. child prodigy of piano. She was really, she's just really stinking good at it, but she kind of loses the playfulness involved with that art form. Mm. And she starts to suffer a little bit inside. And so she needs to come back to that playfulness and refill her soul. And I felt like there's really cute moments in this film. You have her contrasted against the accountant who is completely logical and does not believe in any kind of play at all. And that's why I like the film. So I will defend this film. Jeff can defend Transformers, and I'll defend this one. Interesting. Okay. All right, so we're finally halfway through the list. Let's pick it up a little bit. We're at... For me, 300, which was uh, directed by Zack Snyder. I don't know why that's not on my list, but yeah. It's a good film. Yeah, I'm surprised it's not on your list. I'm trying to remember if it's his first movie or if he did a movie before that. I believe that was the first one that got him attention. Oh, no, his first movie was Dawn the Dead remake, um, which definitely got him some attention. And then he did this three years later. I apologize. Uh, based on Frank Miller's graphic novel, which is based loosely on a historical account of what happened when the Persians and the Spartans clashed. Gerard Butler stars in one of his only good roles in his entire career. Very violent film, but it's absolutely gorgeous film. Uh, I think this movie really holds up, especially if you watch the Blu-ray of the film. It's just stunning. I mean, the Oracle scene alone is just absolutely gorgeous. Uh, it's a really cool movie. It was kind of a hit, or sort of a, a highlight, uh, back in the day with comic book fans, and I think it's, it's, it's held up pretty well. It's sequel, I do not recommend checking out. I think it's called Rise in the that Empire. It was horribly, painfully disappointing. It was very quite ridiculous. But anyway, moving on to better things. And your number five? My number five is Once. Mmm. This is a love story. And it doesn't end how I want it to end. I'm not spoiling anything by saying that, but I'm just telling you how my mind is. But it's for that reason that I really like it. You know, I, I highly recommend it. I think the soundtrack is just beautiful. And I think it's a good film to recommend to indie musicians. And what is your number five? The Mist, which is a solid top five film for me for 2007. I loved this movie. And at the time, there really wasn't not only very many Stephen King movies coming out, but certainly it's been years since there was a really good Stephen King movie. And boy, this knocked me out. I was not terribly familiar with the story uh, before I saw the film. Uh, it had solid performances. It's a really great example of how, you know, sometimes the, the characters can be just as horrific and scary and terrifying as any creatures or other type of killing forces in a horror movie that you could create. You know, it's about a town that ends up getting uh, trapped inside a 
grocery store when a when a mist has uncut and covered up their town and there's creatures in the mist or something in the mist that's killing people so everybody uh, supposedly is safe in this grocery store together but then tensions start to mount it gets it gets amazing Marsha great gay Harden is someone you love to hate in the film Thomas Jane gives one of his best performances in it yes the ending is it will just blow you away this movie is legendary for its ending so if you haven't seen this movie and you've somehow avoided spoilers for the ending dude pop it in as soon as possible uh, so you can experience it for yourself this is a great movie i think it just falls outside my top five stephen keen movies of all time too but it's it's up there so, my number four is Hot Fuzz, and I just love what Edgar Wright makes. I think that this movie is hilarious, and I think there's this beautiful tenaciousness from the main character's partner, and this, like, so the town that he's been assigned to, it's Simon Pegg, it's really hard for him to get used to this small town where nothing happens, and... He is a go-getter. He wants to nail criminals. He wants to, you know, do his duty to the best of his ability. And so it's kind of like this death sentence for him because he's just like, life is so slow now and awful. And there's lovely twists and turns that happen in this film. And I really love that one. So I highly recommend that. And I love Simon Pegg. I mean, not as much as Mark Strong, but I do love him. Cool. That's a fun movie. It takes a, a turn that kept me from really loving it uh, as much as other Edgar Wright movies, but I'm glad you have it on your list. My number four is Sicko, directed by Michael Moore. I think this is Michael Moore's best movie since Bowling for Columbine. I don't think Michael Moore is a perfect director. I think he has his flaws. I think there's flaws to Fahrenheit 9-11, which I think is probably his third best movie. It's definitely one of his best movies, but it has, it has its flaws comparatively. Michael Moore is best when he's not being smug and he's just trying to explore questions and try to find answers. And... By doing so, he exposes where our country is lacking. You know, he's a guy who, who absolutely loves our country, like most of us do, but he also believes that our country could be better. He wants our country to be better for its citizens. He's a humanist, right? And so in this movie... I, amazingly, 10 years later, it's still just as relevant. He's exploring why it is people are suffering in our current healthcare system. And it's, it's quite eye-opening. He, he investigates other healthcare systems in the world, basically trying to show that there's other models that we could adopt, but there's other powers that are preventing us from doing so and honestly how can we really claim to be the best country in the world 
when we don't even look after ourselves or aren't willing to look out for each other. That's a really effective documentary. If you're actually open to an exploration of where our country is lacking and how it could be better, it's definitely worth checking out for sure. My number three is The Simpsons Movie. Mm. And I am a huge Simpsons fan. This is the TV show that I will buy on DVD. I will watch it. I will listen to the commentary. I will watch all the special features. Like, I take my time with this show. My favorite season is season six, by the way, if anyone wanted to know. And what a huge project to take on. I mean, I think at this point they they maybe had... 18 seasons maybe 17 and they decided they were finally going to make a movie that is a huge amount of pressure to take on and wow like the color palette and the line work was just so beautiful and Homer Simpson has never looked so good (laughs) (laughs) and what a great story too I thought it was really this was the same year that the 11th Hour came out, the documentary about carbon and how that's affect. really. Jeff doesn't know what I'm talking about. Mm. The, the thing that's narrated by Leonardo DiCaprio. No. Talking about global warming. Nope. Oh, my God. There's a reason it's not on my list. But anyway, uh, you know, so they include the EPA. They include a president that, you know, his line is, I was elected to lead, not to read. And... <laughs> It's very fun, and it pokes fun at a lot of things. What I really like as well, I love the film, but I also really like the commentary on the DVD. Oh, okay. And I think they have everyone in the room. You know, they have Matt Groening, they have Dan Castellana, they they don't have Marge's voice, Judy. Mm. They might have her in a different commentary, but they have Nancy, Nancy Cartwright, they actually pause the film while they're talking because they hit on a really emotional, we're family, this is more than just people mm. coming to work. And I really loved what that had to reveal. So I highly recommend actually buying that film. If you are a Simpsons fan, why don't you have it already? And also listening to the commentary is really worthwhile. Yeah, someday I'll get back around to rewatching that movie. I kinda... It's available on HBO Go. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I got burned out of it for reasons I'll I'll tell you about off offline. Uh, Ooh, but, scandalous. Uh, yeah, I remember enjoying it at the time uh, for sure. My next movie, my third favorite movie of two thousand seven is Waitress, starring Carrie Russell and Nathan Fillion. This film is written and directed by. Adrian Shelley, who tragically was murdered during post-production, I think, of this movie. What do you mean she was murdered? Well, we can talk about that later. At any rate, she stars as one of Carrie Russell's co-workers and friends in the film, and actually she has a significant B-plot in the movie where she actually has a blind date who ends up not leaving her alone, and the guy actually borders on unhealthy behavior. But anyway, the movie's really, really sweet in a very, like, sardonic sort of way. I mean, the main character is pregnant with a baby she doesn't want, and she's grumpy and negative all the time. She has a terrible, terrible boyfriend, 
played by Jeremy Sisto, who I always think of as as these characters, so I'm really not a big Jeremy Sisto fan. <laughs> but it's a, it's a really great movie, and the the final monologue I think is what really hit me at the end of this movie, watching it again. It's just a beautiful, beautiful monologue, and it's about trying to get out of your your situation and do something more with your life, do something better, you know, following your passions. And I don't know, I just think uh, it's a really great romantic comedy that's very unconventional. And, and if you haven't found it, check it out, man. That's Waitress. When you talk about it like that, that makes me really want to watch it. My number two is Nancy Drew. And this is available to watch on Netflix, and it is also F-rated for the character Nancy. I've spoken about this before in a previous podcast, and I mean, it is great for just about any age. She's a great role model. There's surprise appearances from different actors, such as Bruce Willis. And I mean, this is a great film. And if you love Hollywood, then you'll like it even more. (laughs) Okay. My second favorite movie is Sunshine, directed by Danny Boyle. This is his bid to science fiction about a team of scientists who must fly in space to reignite the sun because a previous mission failed. It stars a lot of people, uh, Killian Murphy, Michelle Yeoh, an early Rose Byrne. You have... Chris Evans during his Fantastic Four era, and a few others I'm forgetting right now. Mark Strong, actually, is someone you see in the movie. Very good film. I rewatched the film recently, and I can understand why it's not for everybody, but it is definitely a film that. For the first two-thirds, anyway, it's it's smart sci-fi, um, I feel. It, it, it's smart sci-fi. I think it does a fairly decent job of developing this team. Chris Evans does one of his best performances, especially at that point in his career. It was probably his best performance. Yeah, I, I, I love it. it. It's so, so good. And, and beautiful visual effects, gorgeous film. That's Sunshine by Danny Boyle. My number one is Persepolis. It is an F-rated film. Really? We have spoken about it previously. It is black and white, so I am attracted to it. But it is also a fantastic autobiography of this wonderful Iranian woman's life. Spanning from, it looks like about age five, maybe, to her adulthood. Early adult. My favorite scene is when she tells either her mother or her grandmother that... You know, when she's an adult, she's oh yeah yeah not you, going to allow yeah. Any, in the last episode, you talked about this. Yeah, any harm towards grandmothers, mm-hmm. and the mother's like, "Oh, how are you going to do that?" And she says, "It's going to be illegal," and that's all there is to it. And yeah. it's fantastic. My favorite movie of two thousand seven is Once, which I was really glad to hear was on your list. Yeah, you introduced it to me. I did, yes. And I wasn't sure if you were going to remember it for this list. I eventually remembered this film. I don't know why it wasn't on my original film phase post. If I if I hadn't caught up with it at that time or what, I have no idea. I'm pretty sure I was aware of it when it came out. 
But this is a really cool take on, on musicals. In the sense that you have two characters who are musicians and their love story, so to speak, is about making music together. And so the songs that are relevant to the story are songs they are making in, in, as part of their band. And, of course, it stars real-life musicians, uh, Glenn Hansard and Marketa Aglova, who's just magnificent in the movie. It's beautiful. It's a movie that you can come back to and interpret in different ways, I feel, especially with the ending of the movie. Shanna's right. The soundtrack is top-notch. It's probably among my five favorite soundtracks of all time. It's just beautiful music, man. You, you just, it, sometimes it's just absolutely aching, and it's just awesome. I love this movie, and Joe Carney, he's definitely a director to watch. I, I think his last movie was Scene Street. Scene Street. Yeah, Scene Street and this film are... Uh, Really, really good. I, I kind of um, recommend skipping Begin Again. That wasn't as successful, I, I don't think. But Once, man, that's a beautiful movie. I love it, and I champion it. Anybody, and I think, again, it's another movie where if you like the Before Trilogy, if you like Walk and Talk movies, mm-hmm. if you like Two Days in New York, possibly, you know, just apply those kind of movies to a musical in a way. Uh, I think you'll like Once. Absolutely. I, I love that film. I'm glad it's your number one. Awesome. What is your favorite movie from 2007? Did you have as hard a time with that year as we did? Let us know. Email thegibsonreview at gmail.com. That is going to do it for this episode of The Movie Lovers. Stay tuned for what's happening in our next episode. But Shannon, let us know where people can find you on the internet. You can find me at my various social media channels at shannapaxton.com, S-H-A-N-N-A-P-A-X-T-O-N. But you can especially find me at Instagram at Woman's Journey to Empowerment. That has underscores underneath each word. And it is woman's as in one. So W-O-M-A-N-S. Very cool. You can go to thegibsonreview.com to find previous episodes, previous lists, and other reviews and articles. Go to Facebook to find many reviews, third-party articles, and other things of note. Uh, just go to the Gibson Review on Facebook. You can also go to Flickchart, Gibson99, to find me there. Am I forgetting anything? Oh, of course, email, as always. The Gibson Review at gmail.com. We always appreciate your feedback. And, of course, find more episodes on iTunes or SoundCloud if you find your podcasts on those channels. Next time on The Movie Lovers, we will be reviewing Blade Runner 2049. Oh, so excited. And I think we'll be continuing our year-by-year countdown with Film Phase 2006. I really hope that that's an easier year for me. I really do. I'm sure it will be for both of us. Until then, keep loving the movies. And this is Jeff and Shanna. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.